Uh, we are continuing our series, The Oldest Trick in the Book. The oldest trick in the book. The devil has been tricking people for generations. I mean, all the way back to the time of Adam and Eve to today, he has been lying and fooling God's favorite creation. And uh, this series is all about breaking down the devil's game plan and just kind of seeing how he operates, uh, how he works, so that way we can't be so easily fooled. We can recognize that's not right. That's not from God. That is from the devil. And the nice thing we can do that is because the devil's been using the same old tricks. He hasn't changed it up. He's got the same old bag of tricks he's been using since the very beginning. And uh, so that's kind of helpful to us to see how he's been doing it. But the good news is we don't have to do it on our own. We are not alone. We have Jesus, and uh, we can run to him, and Jesus always wins. He helps us to overcome those tricks. And last week we looked at the devil kind of has a threefold mission statement we see in John chapter 10. It says this, the thief or the devil comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's his plan, to steal and kill and to destroy. And last week we looked at his first mission, which was to steal. He's not looking to steal your possessions or to steal things from you. He, he's, he's got his eyes on something much more valuable than that, your identity. He's looking to steal your identity, and he does that by lying to you. By, by telling you that you're a mistake, by telling you you're not worth it, uh, by, by telling you you're not enough, by telling you you have no purpose, that you are not loved. But Jesus, he's in the business of restoring identities. And uh, in his word, he tells us that we are God's masterpiece, that we are created with a purpose, that we are fully known and we are fully loved, right? And, and so he restores our identities. And two things uh, that we want to learn in this series that, that I want you to take home uh, is this. Number one, I want to give you practical ways that you can recognize and overcome the tricks of the devil. And number two, assurance that Jesus always wins. I mean, he beats the devil every single time, 10 out of 10 times. And I mean, the devil's odds of beating Jesus are about the same odds the Vikings have of winning the Super Bowl. Like, it's just, it doesn't happen. And I'm a Vikings fan, but I've just come to terms with it, right? The devil's not going to win. He doesn't have a chance. Compared to God, he is nothing. He is, he, he is literally meaningless. He, he's got no chance. Jesus outmatches him. So this week, we want to focus on that, that second mission of the devil. The devil wants to kill you. Wow, Pastor Ben, what a message. That sounds great. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Uh, no. So the devil wants to kill you, but there's good news. Jesus has come to give you life. And not only life, but he's come to give you life abundantly. He's come to give you life to the full. So while the devil may be out to kill you, Jesus always wins. Jesus always wins, and if we rely on Jesus, we can win in the end, and the devil doesn't have to do that to us. So even though it might sound scary, we've got Jesus on our side, so we do not need to fear. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And while you're flipping there, some of you might be asking the question like, where did the devil come from? Or why would God create the devil? I mean, wouldn't it just make sense for him to not create the devil? And then we wouldn't have to deal with this. We wouldn't have to deal with his tricks. So again, while you're flipping there, let me give you some backstory on the devil. We see a little bit, the Bible doesn't share, go into great depth on where he came from, but it does give us a little bit of insight. And uh, on the screen in Isaiah chapter 14, it says this, referring to the devil. It says, how you have fallen from heaven... O morning star, son of the dawn, you have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. 
I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit and throne on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. So it's talking about how the devil, he was an angel created by God. You can also look it up if you want to check it out in Ezekiel chapter 28. It gives a little bit more backstory as well. But the devil was an angel created by God. And, and the devil, uh, he, he thought that he was, you know, he was the most beautiful angel out there. And, and pride took over his heart and he thought, I should be like God. I should be greater than God. And he tried to establish his throne over God's throne. Well, again, God always wins. Jesus always wins. And, and God cast him out. And God threw him to the ground and, and stripped him uh, of the authority that he had. So pride got to the devil's heart, and that was his downfall. And it's funny, because now the devil uses pride to try to take us down, too. That's another one of his tricks. But he fell for his own trick to start it out. So, so that's, that's, where, that's a little bit of his background, in case you're wondering. But let's go back to Genesis now, where, you, where you're at. And uh, we know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He, he created the sun and the moon. He created the land and the water. He created the plants and the animals. And he created humans. Right? He created man in his own image. He gave him the breath of life. And he looked at all of his creation. And he said, it is good. It is good. He didn't mess up. He didn't make any mistakes. He said, this is perfect. This is just the way that I intended to make it. And he looked at man. He didn't say, wow, you are sinful and you are a mistake. He said, no, you are good. And in Genesis chapter 2, starting with verse 15, it says this. The Lord God took the man, referring to Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. We'll, we'll stop there for a moment. And so God puts Adam in the garden, in this perfect place, this place of really eternal life. The tree of life was there. But he also put this tree of knowledge and good, uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil in there. And he said, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but don't eat that one. Why would God do that, Right? like, really, God? Did you have to put that tree? If you just didn't put that tree there, I mean, we kind of know the end of the story. Uh, things didn't go so well. When you tell somebody, don't touch that, they touch it. And uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But, uh, you know, God, why, why would you do this? Why would you put this temptation there for Adam? Why would you put rules there? Why would you do that? But here's the thing. God didn't create robots. He created humans. He didn't create beings that just says, you need to do exactly what I say and exactly how I tell you. He gave Adam free will. He gave him choice. He gave him the option of what to do. And that's why the tree is there, so that he would have a choice. If, if there was no tree, he would have no option to disobey. He would have no free will. Uh, if you're a parent in the building, I want you to think back to uh, the day you became a parent. For some of you, that maybe that was a great day. For some of you, guys, maybe you were passed out on the floor. You just didn't know what to do. I don't know. Uh, but just think back to that time when, when uh, you became a parent and, and uh, you're holding your, your son or daughter. I remember uh, holding my son and uh, for the first time, and I'm just thinking, like, you are very fragile, and I do not want to break you. Like, that was, that was kind of my overall writing. I don't have an instruction manual. I don't know how to, how to do this, but I'm going to do everything I can to take care of you. 
And uh, so we loaded them up. I remember driving maybe like five miles per hour on the way home because I was just didn't know what to do and I didn't want to break him. And uh, so we were going slow. People were probably passing, at, passing me, honking at me. And uh, we got home. And the weeks before, I had just went through and I baby-proofed everything. I mean, the kid can't crawl yet, but, you know, we're going to protect him. We've got all the locks on the doors. Uh, we've got all the, the, the plugs and the outlets. They can't play with that. We've got the gates up. I mean, we are prepared. Maybe some of you guys can relate to that. Uh, we even went over uh, to the grandparents' house, and we did the same thing. They were like, stop messing up our house. No, we need to protect our child. We're going to do this. And, uh, you know, so we're very overprotective. We, we get through that. And... Uh, Things are going well, and a couple years in, we come up on the first Christmas where Luke was mobile, and uh, you know he, he could tackle things and get into places he wanted to, and, and we had to make a decision. All right, how are we going to decorate the Christmas tree this year? Because that's some low-hanging fruit there. You know, don't touch the tree, and just like Adam, you know, don't touch the tree, and, and so we got to figure out, do we just decorate it from here on up, or do we decorate the whole thing and we got to teach him? And so we talked about it, and we decided, you know what, eventually we've got to, like, teach our kid right from wrong. We don't want him to be sitting around 17 years old and strapped into the car seat in the back. Like, we've got to figure out, um, you know, when to teach him this. So we decided, all right, we're going to put all the bulbs on the tree, and we're just going to tell him touching those things is bad. You know, they're, they're glass. They can hurt you. You can't understand that, but hopefully you can understand no. And it went great. Didn't have an issue didn't have a problem, but then two years later, we were at the same stage with our girls. Ava and Ella came along, and we said, we were faced with the same decision. Do we decorate the tree again? Ah, it went fine with Luke. We should be fine. Let's just teach him. And uh, so, you know, they're doing pretty good, and for the first time in a few years, I told Angie, you need to get away. I told my wife, you need to get away. I mean, you've just been watching the kids nonstop. Uh, our girls have never been out of your sight in like a year and a half. I got this, all right? I can change a diaper, I, I can feed them, you don't need to worry. So we sent her off, she went on a trip for a few days, and, and uh, so it was the first day that I was alone with the kids. Things are going great, you know, I'm sending her, look at all the games, we're playing all this fun stuff. I'm giving Luke a bath that night, and all of a sudden I take Luke out of the bathtub and I turn around, and there's this giant bloody handprint on the door. And I'm like, what happened? You know, I didn't hear any screaming or anything like that. But it's this giant bloody hamper, and I run out to the tree, and there's a broken ornament, glass ornament, on the ground, and Ella's hand is just like a geyser of blood. I mean, just squirting everywhere. And I'm like, oh no, what do I do? Angie's not here. And, and so I, I go, and I, uh, I'm grabbing a towel, and I'm dabbing that thing. And, and uh, it was bleeding so much that every time I would take the towel off to put the Band-Aid on, there was so much blood that squirted out that like, it would just slide off. It didn't stick. And I'm just at a loss, like, what do I do here? What do I do? And uh, so I call Angie. Everything's fine. Don't need to worry, but I need some help. Who should I call? And, and so I call around a little bit. I had to have somebody come over so they could hold pressure on the wound so that we could get a Band-Aid on it. And she's still alive today. Um, everything's okay. But eventually, we had to teach our kids right from wrong. We had to make that, that choice because, again, we weren't going to just, we can't baby-proof the world. And the same way God gave to Adam, he couldn't baby-proof everything for him. He said, there's going to be choices you have to make. If you want free will, then you're going to have to ha decide what's right and what's wrong. And you're going to have to make some difficult choices. So this tree was in the Garden of Eden. This choice he had to make. 
And he gave him the rules. He didn't just say, don't touch the tree. He said, don't eat from the tree. Don't touch it because you will surely die. Like, that's the why behind it. He didn't just say, don't do that. He said, don't do it because you will surely die. So he gave him the rules. He gave him the why. But now to add to the problem. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, but we can, we can kind of figure it out because somewhere the devil must have been listening. He must have overheard this conversation. His ears must have perked up when he heard those words, you will surely die. Because remember the devil's mission statement? To steal, kill, and destroy. And so when he heard that, I, I believe a plan maybe started to, to roll in his, his mind. The, the gears started turning, and he thought, all right, I can do something about this. Now I have a way to kill God's favorite creation. Right? And he was, he was getting excited, and, and he came up with he came up with the first trick in the book. He came up with the oldest trick in the book in that moment. See, in between this, this verse in chapter 2 and the start of chapter 3, uh, God forms woman. He, he takes a rib from Adam, and he forms woman, and her name is Eve. And the devil, he's crafty. And he chooses his first victim, and it's not Adam, but it's Eve. Because Adam heard the command directly from God. Right? Don't eat from that tree, you'll surely die. But Eve, she didn't hear it directly from God, she heard it from Adam. And so he decided, I'm going to have somebody who has a second-hand experience with God rather than a first-hand experience with God because I can trick them easier. They're more susceptible, they're more likely to fall for that. And you know what, the devil still uses that trick today. He's looking for people with second-hand relationships with Jesus. He's looking for people with second-hand relationships with Jesus. What's that, you ask? It's well, I'm a Christian because my parents were a Christian. I'm a Christian because my spouse is a Christian. Or uh, I'm a Christian because, you know, I, I listen to the pastor on Sundays or I, I hear that uh, minister sharing on TV or on the radio, right? And every time somebody asks, you'd be like, well, I believe it because so-and-so believes it. And the devil's looking for those second-hand Christians. That's why it's so important that we be first-hand Christians. Because really, there's, there's no such thing as a second-hand Christian. You can't love Jesus and not go to the source. Right? We need to go to the source. We need to daily get into God's Word. We need to daily be in prayer. Because I don't want you just to, to hear it from someone who heard it from someone. I want you to hear from God. You have that access. You have that ability. Let's be first-hand Christians in that sense. Because the devil, he's looking for a way in, and that's an easy way in when your faith is not your own. So he chooses Eve as his target, who's heard the rules from Adam, who's heard the rules from God. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The devil starts out by questioning the truth. Did God really say you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? And this is where he starts. He, he likes to, to bend the truth, right? He likes to bend the truth without maybe breaking it. He's, he's trying to just throw in a little doubt. Did God really say? I mean, you didn't hear it, Eve. You heard it from Adam. Maybe Adam got it wrong. You know, maybe he communicated it to you wrong. Maybe he didn't tell you about the, the different exceptions. Like this is a you know, a fifth Sunday, or this is a leap year, so it's okay to, to eat from the tree today. You know, he starts putting doubt. 
starts putting doubt in her heart. And, and this is what he does. You know, this is another lie that he tells. Just like we talked about last week, that's how he steals your identity. This is a lie that he's trying to do, again, in order to kill Eve because he knows that she'll surely die if she eats from that tree. So he begins to put doubt in Eve's mind. Now, to Eve's credit, she stopped the devil's first trick perfectly. Watch how she does it. Verse 2 says this, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So how did she defeat it? She came back with truth. She said that's exactly what God said, and if we disobeyed him, we would die. So she fought lies with truth. We overcome the lies of the devil with the truth of the word of God. Just like it worked for Eve, it still works today. When the devil lies to you, you can respond with God's word. You can respond with truth, and he can't overcome that. He can't overcome that. So we need to respond with lies with truth. And that's why it's so important we know this book, church. That's why it's so important we spend time in God's word every day. So when the devil lies to you, you can say, that's not what this book says. That's not what this book says. And we keep going back to the source. Not, not that's what my pastor says. Not that's what, you know, my friend says. No, that's what God's word says. And we can trust in that. We can fully trust in God's word. It's pure truth. We can trust it 100%. So when the devil comes up and he tries to tell you, no one loves you. No one loves you. Man, you can be, no, John 3.16 tells me that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Right? And I'm part of the world. So God loves me. Or if the devil tries to lie and tell you you have no purpose. Right? You, you don't have a plan. God can't use you. You have no purpose. We can say, no, Jeremiah 29 says that, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We can come back. Right? When temptation is pressing in and, and he tells you there's no way out, just give in. Just give in. You don't stand a chance. We can come back and we say, no, 1 Corinthians tells me that no temptation has seized me except what is common to man. And God's faithful and he'll provide a way out. Right? Right? That's truth. That's truth. When the devil tells you you can't do it, you can't make it through, or you aren't strong enough, well, Philippians tells me that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? So we have the word of God to combat the lies of the enemy. So the devil, he tried to lie to Eve, but she stopped him in his tracks by quoting the word of God. We overcome the lies of the devil with the truth of the word of God. But the devil wasn't done yet. He had more tricks up his sleeve. Verse 4 says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, the devil was just getting warmed up with that first trick. Now he pulls out a second lie. Now he isn't just saying, did you really hear that right? Now he comes out and says, God's a liar. God's a liar. Do you really trust him? Do you really trust that God is telling you the truth? Do you really think you're actually going to die? No, God's playing a trick on you. Because he knows that when you eat from that fruit, when you eat from that tree, you're going to be like him. You're going to know good and evil just like he knows. And so he, she confronts her belief in God. God's a liar. You can't trust him. You can't believe in him. You know, every good lie is laced with some truth. You ever notice that? Every good lie is laced with some truth. And that's what the devil tried to do here. He tried to lace it with some truth. 
Now, I feel like this every time I go into a grocery store. Maybe some of you guys can relate. I feel like when I walk down the lines, the, the aisle of a grocery store, I feel like I'm being lied to. Because everybody wants to eat health food, right? Everybody wants to eat healthy and feel good about themselves. So it feels like every product on a grocery store shelf is advertising how healthy it is. Ever notice that? Like I picked up a box the other day and it was like gluten-free, zero grams trans fat. Uh, what's another one they throw out there? Uh, they, they've got, uh, oh, made from whole grains. You know, so it's just like, wow, this, is, this must be really good. This must be really healthy. And it's like, wait a minute, this is Cocoa Pebble. Why doesn't it advertise the 12 grams of sugar that's in here, right? But I mean, it's just like, well, it's true. You could slap gluten-free on a watermelon, you'd be true too. But, you know, it's just like these different things. It's like, why, why do you advertise these things? Because they're trying to tell you the truth, but really they're just not telling you the whole truth. You know what I'm saying? That's what the devil was doing here. He was, he was trying to tell the truth, but maybe just not the whole truth. Certainly, uh, you know, Eve, has, she's living in a perfect world. There's no sin. There's, there's no evil in it. She's never seen it. The only thing she's ever seen is good. So it's true. When she eats of that fruit, she's going to realize that there's also evil out there. The problem is she's going to realize that it came from her own heart. That's the sad part. So he, he was telling the truth uh, in that sense. Uh, he was telling the truth. Yeah, God, you're going to die. Uh, he didn't say like, you know, he didn't tell her that it was going to be gradual and not like right away. He tried to make that sound a little bit more immediate and speed up the, the timeline. So, so he, he made this lie and he tried to make it truthful, but he just didn't give the whole picture. He didn't give the whole picture. So again, creation was perfect. There was no death. There was no sorrow. And when there was no sin in the world, there was no death in the world. And Adam and Eve, they, they would have never died had they never made the mistake that they're about to make. But where there's sin, there's death. Where there's sin, there's death. And that was the devil's plan all along. Because again, he is out to steal and kill and destroy. And he wanted to do nothing more than to kill God's favorite creation. And this is the same way he tries to kill you today. To tell you a lie laced with truth that will eventually kill you. See, the lies the devil might whisper to you today are, you know, you can... You can keep looking at that. No one will ever know because really, is it really hurting anyone? Or he might tell you, it's not really mean to say those things about a person if they're true. He might tell you, you know, it's fine if it's only once in a while. You know, if it's only once in a while, it's fine. Or this is a good one. It's only cheating if you get caught. You haven't been caught yet, so you're fine. And I think, you know, when you say them out loud, that's just like, well, that's dumb. That's a lie. But have you ever found yourself, like, trying to rationalize your own sin? Ever found yourself doing that? Like, it's, yeah, it's fine. And, like, when you just consult yourself and you don't say things out loud, we're really good at making ourselves sound good to ourselves, right? We're really good at, at just rationalizing our way and say, yeah, man, this is okay. And the devil loves it when we do that. And he chips in and he, he adds to your belief system in that sense. And those are the lies he tells you. So the devil, he lies to Eve, and he tells her that she won't die. That God is just hiding the truth from her, and he doesn't want to give her the same power that he has. And then in verse 6, we see this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. 
And in that moment, sin entered the world. That wasn't a good day. In that moment, sin entered the world. And Adam and Eve's eyes were opened, just like God had said. They were open to the damage that sin had caused. Now, they didn't fall over dead in that moment, but they were banished from the garden. And they were banished from eating from the tree of life. No longer did they have this perfect relationship with their creator. Now they had to experience pain and suffering. Uh, now, now they had to work hard for their food. They no longer had this eternal life. But now would experience death. Not only their own death, but they would experience death uh, of their children, of their, their grandchildren, and of generations to come. Sin and death would be the defining factor of the next generation, of humanity. And this was the life each of us was born into, a life filled with sin and death, all because of this first sin. And this was the devil's plan all along. Again, he's out to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wanted nothing more than to ruin and to kill God's favorite creation because he was always envious of God. He always wanted his throne, and if he couldn't have his throne, he was going to take away God's favorite creation. And that's what he's still trying to do today. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. Again, the penalty for sin has always been death. From the Garden of Eden, to Eden till today, the wages of sin is death. When we sin, the punishment is death. And the devil's still telling the same lies today. You know, if you do it just once, it won't kill you. Or how are you going to know it's bad unless you actually try it? And he uses these lies because the wages of sin is death, and he's attempting to kill you from the inside out. That's his plan. But the good news is Romans 6.23 doesn't end there. It says, but the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus gives life. Jesus offers life. While the devil offers death, God gives a free gift of eternal life, a better life, life abundantly, life to the full. And in John chapter 10, it says that the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Right? He lays down his life so we can have life. He gives it up. Because again, somebody's got to die. Somebody's got to die because we have sin. Sin can't go unpunished. God is not going to overlook our sin. God doesn't be like, well, you're a pretty good person. You only messed up once. Come on in. He doesn't do that. He's a just God. He doesn't make exceptions. But God is also a God of mercy. I'm so thankful for that. God is a God of mercy. And, and, and since he can't just forgive you or he can't just move on and he can't just not punish sin, he sends his son to die for you so he can go to the cross, so that he can die, so that he can take that punishment, the wages of sin upon himself, so that we can have life. The good shepherd laid down his life for sheep. Don't we serve an incredible God, church? Don't we? I mean, we could say words over and over again, and we wouldn't have enough to praise God for the work that he did on the cross, for the life that he gives us, because we're worthy of death. Man, we are worthy of death. We are wor worthy to pay for every sin that we have ever committed. But Jesus gives us life. Jesus gives us life. Now, I'm very incredibly thankful for our servicemen and women, for our first responders who routinely put their lives on the line 
to save our country, to protect our country, to protect their loved ones. And I mean, really, they're heroes. They are heroes. So many have given their lives for this country. But Jesus takes it even another step further. Not only did he lay down his life, but he laid down his life for his enemies. He didn't, he didn't just lay down his life for loved ones. or um, and he, he laid down his life for his enemies because we were all sinful when he went on that cross. We were all opposed to him. He laid down his life for the people who put him on that cross. We weren't chasing after God and saying, God, I need you. He said, no, they're still my enemies, but I love them. I care for them, and I'm going to redeem them. I am going to pay the price for them. So God did something revolutionary, and he died on the cross for us. That's love. That's a good shepherd. That is our God. Again, our vision statement, love God, love people, share Christ. Notice how the first two words of that and the most important two words of that vision statement are love God. Love God. Everything else flows from this. Everything else flows from our love of God. And we love God because he first loved us. And he loved us in unthinkable ways, uh, of ways we can't comprehend. And, and so all we need to do is, is give him all of us. We can't love him back with part of us. We want to love God the same way he loved us. So we need to love him with everything we have with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, with everything. That's how we need to serve God. God deserves our everything. We can never pay him back. We can never pay him back for the work he did on the cross. But we can live every day in light of that. We can live and give him our all. Because Jesus died and rose again. When we believe in him, he restores us and he gives us eternal life. And we get to spend eternity in the presence of God just like Adam and Eve did before they fell for the devil's tricks. We can spend eternity with God forever in heaven. Jesus has come to give us life and life abundantly, life to the full. The devil may be out to kill us today, but we serve Jesus, and he's out to give us life. And Jesus wins every single time. Lana, would you come? This morning, if you've never experienced this salvation before, if you've never given your life to Christ before, if you're not sure today if you died, if you would go to heaven or you'd go to hell, today you can change that. Today you can change that. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, God will forgive us. It says that if we confess Christ as our Savior and we believe that he died and that he rose again, that we will be saved. Not like you'll maybe be saved. You will be saved. And you can have confidence and you can have assurance and you can trust that Jesus has given you eternal life. And you can walk out of this place this morning a different person. And we're going to pray in just a moment. And uh, I'd encourage you. It, you don't have to repeat after me or anything like that, but I just want you to pray from your heart. If that's you in this place this morning, uh, when we go to prayer here in just a moment, I just want you to pray a prayer from your heart. It's something as simple as, God, I know I've messed up. I know I've got sin in my life. Would you forgive me? Would you be the Lord of my life? I believe you died and you rose again. Something as simple as that. The big thing is that you pray it from your heart. And when you do that, God is going to completely come in and transform your life. And if you do pray that prayer this morning or you got questions, come see me afterwards. I would love to celebrate with you. Uh, I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. So again, just a few moments, if that's you, would you just 
begin to pray that prayer. This morning, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, many of you have in this room, then we need to be prepared for the devil's attacks. They're coming. He's not going to be like, ah, no, forget about them. We need to be prepared. And so we need to take those steps. We need to be in God's Word. We need to be in God's Word. We need to be ready when the lies come that we've got the truth on our side and we can fire back. And Jesus always wins. Jesus always wins. So we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in doubt. But we can live in trust knowing that God is greater. Knowing that God is good. So let's spend time this week. If you haven't been doing it already, make a commitment this week to get into God's Word every day. It doesn't have to be for long. You don't have to read several chapters. But it may even just be a start of reading five minutes a day. Maybe you choose one verse that you memorize this week so that you can have that ready when the devil tries to lie to you. The devil always loses, church. Jesus always wins. Let's be on the right side. Let's go after God today. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray and, and uh, get on with the different activities of the day. These altars will be open. And uh, feel free, come and spend time at them. But let me pray for you. If, that's, if you've never accepted Christ before and you'd like to do that today, just begin to pray from your heart uh, as we pray together. So Jesus, thank you for your word today. God, thank you for giving us your word that we can go back to something that's completely reliable and we can trust in you. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you win 100% of the time. Thank you that we can trust in you that you've given us this, this manual for how to overcome the attacks of the devil. So Lord, God, would you move in us today? If there's anyone in this place who doesn't know you, God, I, I pray that they would accept you. God, that they would ask for forgiveness, that they would accept you as their savior, as the Lord of their, their life, as the decision maker of their life. God, that they would turn control over to you, that they would believe that you died and rose again. Transform their lives today. God, I pray that we would be ready with your word that we wouldn't be second-hand Christians, but we would be first-hand, that we would have a direct relationship with you every day. God, you have given us this great gift of being able to go directly to you again because of what Jesus did on the cross. God, you've opened the heavens to us. And, and so, God, we, we come to you. God, and we pray that you would move in our lives, prepare us for battle this week. Prepare us for battle. God, we know you win 100% of the time. We thank you. We give you glory. Now be with us as we leave this place. God, help us to be the church beyond these walls. God, help us to, to love you with everything we have. God, and as we know your heart is for people, we know that your favorite creation is humanity. You love each and every person around us, our neighbors, our coworkers. God, may we share that same love of people with you. God, and may, may we share the love of Christ with everyone we come into contact with. God, that we would be overflowing with your presence, that people would notice something different about us because we've been in the presence of God. So God, I pray your presence would overflow from this place. God, and it would invade our, our, our places of work. It would invade the grocery store. It would invade the homes. Your love is contagious. God, may we spread it with our community. We love you, Lord. Be with us this week. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Have an incredible week this week.